0: So, the big question is this How do veterinarians like you, who live demanding lives, who never seem to have enough time, able to achieve balance and take control of your finances with confidence? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. We are Florida Veterinary Advisors, and this is the Smarter Vet Podcast. Hey, Smarter Vets, welcome back to the Smarter Vet Financial Podcast. I am your co host, Tom Seiko co-owner of Florida Veterinary Advisors, a national business and personal financial planning firm. Uh, We provide a way of thinking to make financial decisions easy so you can spend time doing other things. So we find that so many people are tired of trying to figure out finances. It's exhausting for them. So what we really want to do is make things simple for people out there. Um, If you are a first-time listener, glad you're here. If you're one of our uh, consistent listeners, welcome back. Uh, you are what make our show what it is today. Uh, I've got a really cool guest that i have been bringing on with me today that actually was here previously where we had talked about uh, associate buy-ins. And I thought it'd be good to have him back again so we can be able to discuss some interesting topics just around law and veterinary practices. And uh, today we want to really dive into around buy-sell agreements when it comes to having partners so before we actually jump into this, I want to bring on the show. He is the chair of the National Veterinary Law Group at Mandelbaum Barrett, based out in New Jersey. Uh, he's become a good friend of mine over time. Uh, we don't hang out enough. We probably should. But uh, Peter Tonella, it's great to have you back on the show.
1: Tom, thanks for having me. Thanks for all those uh, kind words. You don't usually hear a lawyer in cool in the same sentence, so it uh, makes me feel good.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's like the accounting world and advisor. World. Yes. I think it's the same thing. So, but it's cool. It's I'm I'm glad you're back again. And you know, for those who don't know who you are, if you could just give a quick plug on yourself again, because I'd like for them to know a little bit about your background.
1: Yeah, Tom. Th- thanks. Uh, so, as as Tom mentioned, I chair the law firm's national veterinary law group. I've been in the vet med space over probably 15 years now, um, exclusively working with veterinarians. Um, across the country, buying, selling, merging, um, and just serving as uh, general corporate counsel, working with professionals like Tom and others as we kind of navigate the, you know, through different issues with the clients.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's much needed having really good counsel in veterinary medicine because there's the law, between the law and taxes are the two areas that sometimes like you got to make sure you have really good counsel in there.
1: Well, just knowing what you know, Tommy, it's funny. I, there's a handful of us in the, in the industry, and you, you know all the other attorneys, and they're all good friends of mine. We work real well together. It's great when you, a transaction comes in, and I know one of those guys or gals are on the other side because it, it, it all moves nicely. I have a deal right now where uh, my client is buying a practice, and Tom, um, the seller is represented by a family lawyer. The deal has been you know, stuck for about a month now. We just can't get it to move and it's' that's not what the family lawyer does you know it's, it's it's you know it's so it's always nice to have somebody who has a familiarity with vet med on the other side when you're you know working with a client
0: of course well on on the topic of buy sell agreements because uh, I know our conversation had last time about uh, associate buy-ins was really good discussion which I think this is a good follow up to that uh, so if any of you are listening want or curious about that please go check out our other episodes at Somewhere in the list of all the shows I've created yeah. so far. Uh, but when it comes to buy-sells, uh, let's like start off with what do you see are some of the biggest hurdles that you find when it comes to either creating them, writing them, people not having them? Uh, what are you noticing some of the biggest challenges that people work through?
1: Yeah, so when, you, when, when I hear somebody say buy-sell, the way I look at it is it's either a partnership agreement, an operating agreement, a shareholders agreement... And the buy-sell language is incorporated within there, right? So I look at those agreements as roadmaps for the partners. Whether you're in, you're in a limited liability company or you're in a corporation, it's a roadmap. And I always try to encourage the clients, you want to you want to create your roadmap now while we're on good terms. Go through all the issues. So in the event the partnership doesn't work out, there's a fail-safe or an exit strategy for one of the partners or both the partners to get out. You spend time and money on it up front. So hopefully you spend less time and money on the back end if somebody wants to you know, retire, just just wants to slow down, wants to sell. You know, I, I think and you and I were talking about this before we hopped on, you know, we've seen a real slowdown this year in 2023 of corporate consolidation. What I have seen yeah you know, really pick up is a lot of partnerships coming together of practice owners wanting to partner up. And um, we've been drafting all different types of agreements for our clients. We have also seen a lot of our clients who've had partners partnerships in the pre- previously coming back now. COVID really burnt me out. I want to slow down. My partner wants to continue to work. Um, mm. My partner wants to sell. I don't want to sell. Issues like that, which goes to your point that you need to address those in there because if you don't it's just going to it's going to create an issue um for the clients and and if they start disagreeing they get upset they can't agree on anything that just creates more time more work spend more money and it just it's unfortunate because it doesn't need to be that way
0: right i always like to say that the main perk of having a buy-sell agreement, because it would be in addition to like a par- partnership agreement right? Um, and some other factors. But uh, it's really like, let's put it in writing and stay friends. Uh, I yeah. love it when I talk with people that are family members and they don't have like agreements between them as well, because that can become very sticky As right. at the same time. What do you see are the challenges when people do not have them? Like, are there any stories that you have that you could share about? they didn't have buy sell and like what the headache it created for them.
1: I have one right now where they do have one in place. However, the language is really inadequate to address, address their situation. You have two partners, 50, 50 equally. One wants to stop you know, working basically. And the other one wants to continue to work. One thinks I want to stop working. I want to sell the corporate. And the other one's like, I don't, I never want to sell the corporate. And the agreement really doesn't address that issue. So what we're doing now is you take the agreement and you really put it aside and you're negotiating, you know, the one partner has an attorney and we're working with one partner and you're trying to negotiate uh, an exit strategy for the two of them that really should have been addressed in that buy, sell or partnership agreement, you know, 12 years ago when they became partners. Or, or maybe right. m- maybe you don't you don't address all the points I get it they don't sometimes they get fatigued they're gonna buy a practice gonna start up a practice they don't want to they, they get fatigued on the partnership agreement and I I don't agree but you try to work with them and then maybe what you, you end up doing is you revisit it and you amend it you expand upon it as your business starts growing but that is an issue because now you have two people who came together for good intentions initially and now they're not seeing eye to eye so you really got to encourage them to get together, communicate, and try to figure out a path forward so the attorneys then can memorialize whatever agreement they have. But it's hard because they have different intentions now. The practice may not be doing as well as it should be doing. One partner may not be working as hard. You know, I'm sure you heard those stories. Oh, he's not working as hard. I'm I'm, I'm working too much. No, he's not working that hard. He doesn't want to work. You know, those ill feelings come up, what makes it even harder to come up to get to, to enter into an agreement.
0: Right. So when I'm thinking about the buy-sell with the corporate, because like the corporate uh, consolidations and buying has, it's relatively new if you look at the length of veterinary medicine and how all of a sudden it became a huge thing over the last several years. And then, of course, right. in 2023, interest rates going up cost the money. It's just like it's the deals I've seen them like completely shift as well to where they've gone from really being in favor of the, the seller. And now they're more in favor of the buying group and they've reduced the amounts drastically on what they're paying. And right. but if like, let's say that the environment does start picking up again and they are look, people, more people are looking at corporate sales. How do they address this? Especially when it's, it, it doesn't seem like, especially if people started a business 15 years ago, corporate buying wasn't, really really was it a big thing around then but it became a balloon like how would they address that in this circumstance
1: well i think it, it i think it's whether it's a corporate buyer or it's just an independent buyer you mm-hmm. need to have language in that an agreement that when there's more than you know one party there's two three four partners how are decisions made you know well how do you make decisions is it by a majority um a supermajority, unanimous and what happens if you can't come up with a unanimous decision or a majority? Do you appoint somebody ahead of time who's maybe experienced in the industry um, as a a tiebreaker for you? You would maybe have somebody in there or or have a company in there that can address that issue for you. But you need to have those mechanisms in there because if one of the party wants to leave or wants to compel a sale, um, there, there should be language around there about whether or not he or she can do that, um, and what, what the what the other partner you know, what the other partners what they feel, um, you know, uh, what's what the agreement can be or what, what it should be. It just, you know, it, I I'd say the word roadmap. I really think that's the that's what you're looking for. Um, and when the roadmap it's, it's not not set in stone, you're gonna run into problems. You're talking about to sales, you know, what happens if you want to borrow money? What happens if you want to bring on another partner? What happens if the business wants, to, you know, you want to buy equipment and you need, I you know, uh, you, you need capital for that. How do you do that? All those things should be spelled out. What we call major decisions. I know one of the things that, oh, I always talk with, you know, colleagues like you um, about, God forbid, some, something happens to one of the partners and they get sick, right? Or sick and worst case scenario, somebody is sick and they're going to pass away what does that roadmap look like in there? You should have language, getting to your specific point, that buy-sell language in there. In the event somebody dies or becomes totally disabled, there should be language in there, a mechanism, what happens? How is the practice valued at that point in time? And when the valuation is struck, how is that purchase price paid to either the estate or some, you know, somebody who was appointed in the event of a, you know, a total disability, how is that money transferred? And a lot of times the language in there is inadequate to address those situations, which think about it. And this is you know, the world you live in. Somebody becomes you know, totally disabled or dies and you've got to administer it an estate. a state the stress around that. And then you can try and focus on, oh, what's this practice worth? How do we do this? You know, if you have it all spelled out when everybody's on good terms, it should be pretty fluid when that event occurs, how the practice gets valued, and then how the exit strategy gets applied, that's set forth in that agreement. I mean, it all should just be laid out in there. And it's not that complicated. Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of times people just rush through it, or they don't know what they're doing.
0: Right. It. Seems like that, I I wouldn't, I don't even want to pick on vet med here. I I want to pick on business owners as a whole, because I think most owners are just so absorbed in trying to keep things glued together and managing a team and just trying to keep the business progressing forward, that the buy sell agreement is something they put as like a checkbox and then they create it. And then it's like, once it's created, they file it away. They say, I'm good. They move on. But then these events pop up. Or they, you know, I love talking to even people on the personal estate planning side of things where I've been meaning to get a will and a living will, right. a power attorney, a healthcare surrogate, a, a revocable trust. I've been looking to do all of this, but I haven't done it yet. And it's like, well, when are you going to do it? Like when there's an actual like, you know, when you're when you're dead for joking
1: around, like. Right. You, that's the world that you and I live in. And, you know, we really in, you, you know, you, you don't want to be that lawyer. Right, yes, that advisor, but you're trying to help them, and I, I, I'm real serious about it. When we're at that point in, well, in what, the, especially with estate planning, that's a whole other issue. But it's, it's analogous to what we're talking about, you know, to have a partnership agreement in place that has all those you know, mechanisms in there. It's just basic. Uh, it's a basic corporate document. Now they could get, get pretty complicated. However, you know, the the basic terms and conditions in there. It, it's gonna benefit them in the long run, because you and I have seen those cases. And I I have a number of them right now where I have partners who were on good terms. And I, I, the one partner calls me, he's like, man, I really like Tom. He's a good guy. I really like him, you know, but it's just not working out. And I don't, you know, just, I don't want to be his partner anymore. Well, right. let me see your partnership agreement. And you don't have, you know, it doesn't have the language in there. Tom thinks the practice of course is, worth a lot more than maybe what I think it's worth. And it's got debt on the practice. How do you address those issues? All that should be spelled out in that partnership agreement. Of course.
0: Well, on the flip side of this, from what we were chatting about previously, you and I off the record here was around even the fact that once these agreements are created, especially you'll end up giving it to them and say, hey, here it is. We're good to go. But now there's certain things that do require specific funding in them, which I think is important to, important to call out here because when a, a buy sell agreement is created we've got to worry about like if someone does become permanently disabled or if they can't function like they could or they do die and they're no longer around how does the ownership transfer and uh, sometimes I always find it very scary at times when uh, someone's married and now all of a sudden like your business married to that person's spouse and right. it's like how are they gonna run the business and how does the ownership of that business get passed on. And I I personally think this is huge when it comes to buy sells because if people are not getting, uh, let's say someone does pass away, this is where life insurance comes into play. Uh, or if they become sick or injured, this is where disability insurance comes in. And it's not just a matter of just buying something and slap it's like, you know, getting a pig and putting lipstick on it and saying it like, you know, it looks pretty. Right. It's really finding something that works for the, the agreement, but making sure that the the insurance or the contract you buy does uh, the language connects with the agreement, because if your agreement is in conflict with whatever the contract and the insurance policy is, are, is it going to trigger if it actually does happen? So like, that's another part, like getting the agreement, getting it funded, but then g- during the process, like what I would encourage a lot of owners to is uh, when I talk with them and when my business partner, CJ and I, we talk about uh, that, that, exploring coverages first before the agreement is fully written to see if they're insurable, right? That way there's at least a backup and then understanding, okay, well, if they're not insurable, then you can create some kind of like a sinking fund or some other way of ownership or looking for loans or some type of financing instead. Mm. Uh, Cause otherwise, you know, if they're not insurable and you wrote it with the fact that they are insurable, that kind of creates a little bit of a hiccup too.
1: Yeah, it's a great point. And you bring up Tom, and you know, typically when we're working with a client, I encourage him. You, know, you want to have your your advisor in the conversation. And I always I always encourage the accountant as well, but oh, the, definitely the advisor. Because what's the point of having the agreement if it you know, and then you go get it funded and it doesn't fund? Um, <laughs> you should under, again understanding. I think you use the word. I think it's a great word. You know, being educated on you know the terms and conditions of whatever policy you're going to look to. Fund that obligation with way we typically and what we'll end up doing have language in there that provides that, um, especially on, on a death, that um, you know upon the closing the, the 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 buyout will be funded with the insurance proceeds. Mm-hmm. And to your point, whether or not they don't go get the insurance, which they should. Now, when I don't, we don't usually put language in there. Yeah, no, they have to. Usually, they they shall or they may. So it's permissive. though know, although we encourage them to get insurance to fund the obligation. If for some reason they don't get the insurance or they do and it doesn't work, you know, the fail safe that we typically go right in to the agreement in the event you don't have insurance, you know, then there's a, you know, the buyer will pay, the estate will pay 10% or some percentage maybe at the closing and there's a note provided for the remaining balance of whatever those proceeds are. That's not the ideal way to do it because, you know, obviously the seller wants to get their money. The estate, you know, should want to get the proceeds of the ownership interest of the decedent, not a note at the closing. So I agree with you completely. You need to understand what the terms of that policy are. And then you also mentioned and we were talking offline, I thought it was a great point. I usually run up against a wall with clients when we're talking about disability buyout insurance. Now I, I had said to you, oh, I'll always get the response. I get a lot of times, oh, it's too expensive. But to your point, you know, they need to get educated. You gotta get nowhere to look. And that's where somebody like you comes into play. Okay, you need you need term insurance in order to fund a death. But if somebody becomes totally disabled and they are active in that business, how are you going to fund that obligation? And I think that's where I know education from somebody like yourself and explain it to them. There's options available to them.
0: Absolutely. It's just one takeaway that people could grab from this conversation, say that you would suggest, what would it be?
1: It's that basic. Spend the time and have an agreement in place with your partner or partners. Um, I'll just use the analogy, just like a, a prenup agreement with in a personal relationship. Now, most of us in the middle class don't have prenup agreements with their spouses. However, on, on the business side, you know, and you you hit the nail on the head earlier, Tom, when you mentioned you and I are partners, and CJ, the three of us are partners. Yeah, we wanna be partners. As much as I may like your wife, or I like CJ's wife, or she, you guys like my wife, that's not the deal that we have. So you wanna have a mechanism in there in order to, if one of us wants to leave, somebody died, somebody comes fully totally disabled, you know, we're out and the other two can continue on with that business. And it's that basic to have that agreement in place because you and I see all the issues that um, are created, either one when you don't have the agreement in place or you have one and it's just poorly written.
0: Absolutely. I, I will say there's a lot of moving pieces to being a business owner and a lot of things to take into consideration. And this is one of them. If you do have a business partner or have partners, 100%, you should be writing a, a buy sell. You should be getting it reviewed every so often. Maybe the language needs to be refreshed in it, whatever the case is. But it's this is something I feel very strongly about. And I know, Peter, you, you guys do a great job over at your firm. I, I want to definitely thank you for ha- being here with me today and give you some of your expertise to all the people who are listening.
1: Thanks again for having me, Tom. It's always good you know, talking with you.
0: Absolutely. For everyone who is listening, uh, it's really good to have you here. And I want to give some really, really exciting news that we have master classes coming out soon. We have five of them. There is one 90-minute and four 60-minute courses coming out broken in 10-minute segments. They're going to be coming out soon. So pay attention uh, when you do see it. For now, this is Tom Seco wishing you a lifetime of financial success. Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. Submission number 2023166623 expires December 2025.